Hello, how are we going? Cool, um, yeah, so I know Jamie, I've known Jamie for a few years now, thankfully, from BSF. He's been an amazing um, teaching leader there. Um, yeah, please tell us a little bit about yourself, Jamie. What do you do in the, throughout the week? Uh, so throughout the week, uh, I am a dad and a husband, um, but uh, my, my working life is uh, as a lecturer at Adelaide Uni. Uh, I've been working at Adelaide Uni since forever, a um, bit over 20 years now. Um, so yeah, God's been very faithful in uh, uh, blessing me with a job that's permanent and allowing me to then do lots of ministry and mission work outside of, uh, outside of my working hours. So that's been great. Um, so what church do you go to and how long have you been a Christian for? Okay, so I have been a Christian since I was 18 and a half, 19. Um, I blame my wife for that. Um, she was the one that convinced me to uh, come along to church. Um, I'm sure there are many men in the room could attest to that same thing. Um, and uh, we go to Ross River Baptist Church uh, and we've been going there for not quite 20 years um, so, uh, and I've had a number of roles there. I sort of started out in children's ministry, which was fantastic, uh, and then went on to become an elder and chairperson of elders, and now I lead a young adults um, connect group. So, Thanks, Jamie. I'm sure we have plenty to learn from you. Um, I also hear that, well, I know that you love your Legos. Yes, um, yes, I do. What is your favourite Lego set? Okay, that was a random question. I love it. Oh, my favourite my favorite Lego set, um, well, it would have to be the Millennium Falcon. For those of you who know Star Wars, you would know the Millennium Falcon. It's a really big set. It took me ages to build, so it's, it's the gift that keeps on giving. I love it. Nice. Cool. Um, yeah, we're super excited to hear from you today. Thank Jamie, you. so I'll hand the time over to you. Cool. I'll just grab my... Right, this is where I hope that my tablet doesn't uh, have a seniors moment. See how we go. So it is uh, a real privilege and a pleasure to be here uh, speaking to you this morning. Um, I've had the opportunity to speak at a number of different churches over the years um, as a lay preacher. Um, and I consider the, the training that I've got as a lecturer to be one of the reasons why I get to do this type of work, um, where I can come out and speak to people and not... Uh, be so concerned about public speaking that I can't actually talk. Um, I've certainly seen lots of people at uni struggle with that. So I, I come to you this morning with a, an important question. What do the following people have in common? So I'm going to read some names out to you. Muhammad Ali, Darth Vader, Peter Cullen, and Vin Diesel, and one more, God. What do those five characters have in common? Now, I'm not sure whether we've got these up on the, the screen. If I can have the first one. I go to the next one. Muhammad Ali, there we go. I am the greatest. Go to the next one. I am your father. <laughs> and then one more. I am Optimus Prime. And then one more. I am Groot. It's always entertaining, isn't it? Get to the most important one, to the next slide. Yeah, there we go. I am who I am. That's God speaking from Exodus 3.14. So what do they all have in common? They all have these I am statements about themselves. 
So IAM statements are used in a number of different ways. They can actually describe our occupations, they can describe our roles in life, they can describe our self-perceptions. I could say I am a lecturer at Adelaide Uni. I could say I am a husband, a father, and a true science nerd. That is true. I could say I am easily the funniest person in my family because I have all the best dad jokes. That kind of, you know, it's a given, really. I am statements can also describe our mood. I could, be, I could say I am very disappointed, or I could say I am overjoyed. They can also describe our allegiances. It could be to a sporting team or to a particular church. But more seriously, do we regularly proclaim to ourselves and to others, I am a Christian, I am a follower of Jesus? The Apostle Paul sets us an example of this when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am statements can also describe our character. I could say, I am friendly. I could also say, I am impatient. Both of those are true. So Jesus' I am statements and the context in which they are said help us to understand God's character. And my hope is that the message today that I bring will help us understand what Jesus means when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And to think about how this bold statement is relevant to us today. But first, can we pray? Lord Jesus, we praise you. You perfectly reveal the character of God. We are in awe of the love you have for us, dying on a cross for our salvation, and raised as the firstborn of the dead, the promise of eternal life. Open our hearts and minds to hear and understand your word this morning, that we might worship and glorify you in our thoughts, words, and deeds. Amen. So we saw before that God says, I am who I am. And Jesus says to the one whose brother had died in John eleven twenty-five to 26, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, as a lecturer at uni, you might not realise it, but I get to hear some outrageous claims. Some unsubstantiated, unrealistic and blatantly untrue statements. The one that bugs me the most is when my students tell me that bacteria, which is what I researched back in the day, when they say to me that bacteria has a nucleus, and they say it with such conviction, it's totally wrong. Bacteria do not have a nucleus. I'm a microbiologist, I should know. But sometimes the students just don't get it. And they continue on saying these outrageous things. Some would say that Jesus' claim was also outrageous. But we will see as we go through the message today that it was a completely reasonable claim. And it has big consequences for every single person. You see, Jesus' claims are always true and they are backed up by evidence. And they're also backed up by the testimony of God the Father. So we can trust those claims. Jesus' claims and the demonstrations of his power, his signs, are given to help us to believe in him, to trust him with our entire lives. 
So if we look at some of those previous claims, which you probably would have heard at in your, in your sermon series, in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We see ample evidence of this in the feeding of thousands with just a few loaves of bread and fish. Jesus also claimed to be the light of the world in John 8.12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we see the evidence of this when Jesus heals a man who was born blind and brings the light to his eyes. And of course, there are many others. These few help us to appreciate a pattern of claim and evidence to back up that claim. And this will help us process one of the biggest claims that Jesus ever made, that he is the resurrection and the life. <clears throat> As we should know, should understand, there are no second chances when it comes to death. In 2001, in, in January of 2001, my grandfather was diagnosed with liver cancer. Uh, and so I flew to Queensland to see him and to be with other family. And he, when I got there, uh, this was only a few weeks after he had been diagnosed, and he was already incredibly unwell. He was doped up on morphine to control the pain, uh, and it wasn't a really good time at all. But it was wonderful that God had given me the opportunity to meet with him. He recognised me, even though he was in so much pain. And I got to say goodbye to him, and that was a, a blessing. But I do carry regrets. I regret that I didn't spend more time with him. He, he lived in Queensland and made it hard, but I could have called him more. And I didn't understand completely the depth of his love for Jesus, nor did I fully understand how he had tried to disciple me as a Christian. And I carry these regrets because death is final. In this life, it is final. I'll never be able to speak to him again in this life. I can't tell him how grateful I am for his desire to see me grow as a disciple of Jesus. Death is our greatest enemy. There are many millions of dollars every year spent on research trying to cheat death, trying to extend our lives. And while it is true in this life that, that death is final, that's not the whole story. The finality of death is only true from a purely human perspective. Jesus' statement, I am the resurrection and the life, brings a heavenly perspective on death. And it's one that all people desperately need to hear. And just like all of Jesus' other I am statements, he will back up this claim with evidence. So a little bit of context for the passage that we read earlier, going back a little bit earlier in John chapter 11, looking at verses 11 to 15. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. That's a pretty brutal statement there. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. That's a pretty pessimistic outlook. I'm pretty glad that the disciples were not in charge of this story. 
But to be fair, it's a reasonable outlook. The disciples' evidence to this point was their past experiences. There's nothing you can do for a dead person. And going back to Judea was just asking for trouble because of the conflicts with the religious leaders. Now, this whole episode reminds me a little bit of an experience I had many years ago uh, when my wife and I were living in our first rental place. Uh, it was one particularly brutally hot summer, uh, and our um, uh, rental place that we were living in, it didn't have very good insulation. It got really hot inside in summer, uh, and we had a fish in a fishbowl, and the problem was it was just one of those really small ones, uh, and we got, got home one particularly hot day, uh, and the fish was gone. Like, there was no fish in the bowl. I said, where did the fish go? And so we looked into the kitchen a little bit more, and there in the middle of the floor was the fish. And it was definitely dead. There was no going back from this. It was pretty much dried on the floor. There was nothing we could do for that poor fish. And by the time Jesus gets to Lazarus, Lazarus is most definitely dead. He has been dead for four days. And this was a great tragedy for Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, because the Jews believed that the spirit only departed the body after three days. So there's that sense that within that, that first window, there, there may be a miracle could happen, but after that, we're all done. So by four days, there was no way that Lazarus could be revived. So when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he was speaking to Martha who had just lost her brother. And while she trusted Jesus, she was most definitely hurting. She was grieving at this point in time. What we need to remember is that Jesus knew Martha perfectly and he knows us perfectly too. He knew just what to say and to do to help Martha. He knows what to say and what to do to help us. Not to help us feel better, but to help us grow in our faith. Jesus is not in the business of making our lives easy and making us feel good all the time. Jesus is in the business of growing our faith in him. And it is in God's character to grow the faith of his disciples. It is in God's character to grow the faith of his disciples, even through and perhaps most often during our difficult circumstances. So Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, at first glance, that might be a little bit confusing. How can you live if you have died? And we know everyone dies, even those who believe in Jesus. So what is Jesus saying exactly? He's speaking about the life beyond this physical life. Eternal life. Abundant life. Life that begins when we believe in Jesus and it continues even after we die physically. To believe in Jesus is to truly and properly live. Jesus isn't asking Martha whether she believes just in his words. He's asking if she believes in him. Martha, 
Even though your brother is dead and you believe he will rise again at the last day, do you believe in me? Do you trust me? It's easy to say that we believe, but do we really? Do our actions, do our actions match our words? Do you believe that Jesus is life and brings you life? This is a crucial truth for us to accept. Because if Jesus is life, as he claims, then by definition, choosing to believe in, to put your ultimate trust in anyone or anything else is to choose death. Everyone needs to hear the truth about Jesus. Think about the thousands of people just in this local area. How many of them haven't even heard about Jesus? How many of them only know Jesus' name as a swear word? What about family and friends who don't know Jesus? How are our words and our actions pointing people to Jesus? How are they giving them an opportunity to commit their lives to him? To believe in Jesus is to receive true and everlasting life. So then how does Martha respond to Jesus' question, do you believe this? In 1127, she says, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. She believed in Jesus, and that is something we can praise God for. That is something we should be excited about. Every time we hear someone saying, I believe in Jesus, and he is the Son of God, and he is my Lord, that is something to celebrate. But Jesus isn't done with Martha or Mary or Lazarus just yet. He's going to provide evidence to back up his claim. And he's going to use the circumstances of this situation to test Martha's belief. It's a necessary test to grow her faith in the Lord. And we're going to experience these in our life in many different ways. Everyone um, sorry, Jesus desires all who believe in him to grow in their faith. So, how is Martha tested? Jesus asks her to choose. Will she believe his words and trust him to back them up? Or will she cave to the powerful cultural taboos around death? Death had a significance to the Jewish people and there were many significant taboos around them. In John 11:39 it says take away the stone. So roll the stone away from the tomb. That is something that the Jews just didn't do. They didn't go around uncovering graves. We don't do it either for that matter, at least not normally. So picture yourself in Martha's position. Imagine standing by the grave of a recently deceased person that you knew. And then Jesus says to you, dig up the coffin. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. That's essentially what Jesus is saying to Martha now. This is a really difficult test of faith. It's easy to read this and kind of gloss over it a little bit. But if you put your feet in Martha's shoes, you realize this is really hard. Do we really believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And Martha responds with reluctance. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. It does seem a bit funny that she's worried mostly about the bad smell. 
But think again. What would it be like for us in that situation? What difficult situation is Jesus asking you to trust him in right now? What are you wrestling with that Jesus wants you to trust him with? And Jesus responds in verses 40 to 44. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And I take that phrase to mean that Martha has given her consent. She has taken that step of faith and said, yes, let's do this. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So ultimately, Martha did trust Jesus. She was obedient to him and Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. This is the evidence for his I am claim. He really does have power over death. With Jesus, physical death isn't the end. He really is who he says he is. He is the life that every single person needs. Imagine now how this event grew Martha's faith. How much more did this event grow her faith than if Jesus had turned up earlier and simply healed, I say simply, had just healed Lazarus. Still a big thing, but not the same as bringing someone back from the dead. The harsh reality of it all is that times of suffering is when our faith tends to grow the most. Now, of course, it's great to give this example, but I don't know about you, I haven't heard about any resurrections recently. Anyone? No? Okay, no, I didn't think so. Sometimes it feels like our belief and our trust and our faith in God seems to be ignored a little bit. Feels a bit like Jesus doesn't really care that you trust him. If you take nothing else away from today, believe, we, believe me when I say that Jesus does care. He cares more than you or I can possibly comprehend. Now at the time, I was pretty angry at God about what had happened to my grandfather. Now, I said before he was diagnosed with liver cancer. What I didn't say is that between diagnosis and him passing away was six weeks. It was very quick. And he died in great pain. So where was God when my grandfather, who loved and trusted Jesus, died in great pain? These verses in John tell me that Jesus was right there with my grandfather and he was with me. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, weeping as I wept. Even though he is the resurrection and the life, just because he knows what is going to happen doesn't mean he doesn't feel the pain that it brings. Jesus knows and understands our pain far better than we ever will. Jesus understands your pain, so much so that we can say with confidence that Jesus' words and actions are perfectly timed to produce faith. Jesus' words and actions are perfectly timed to produce faith. He sovereignly allowed Lazarus' death to grow Martha's faith. He sovereignly allowed the death of my grandfather to grow my faith. 
Now, I'm not saying that his death was solely for my benefit. That would be pretty egotistical. But my grandfather's death at that time was God's severe mercy to me. He used this painful event to grow my faith in him, to appreciate how important it is to have a genuine, true and active faith in Jesus. And I can't begin to imagine who else that my grandfather had interacted with that might have also received God's severe mercy at that same time. And it is a great comfort to me to know that my grandfather loved and trusted Jesus. And I know I will see him at the resurrection when the Lord Jesus returns. So do we trust Jesus as Martha did? Do we believe him when he says, I am the resurrection and the life? When you believe in Jesus and submit to him as Lord, you are blessed with the promised Holy Spirit, the seal that guarantees our hope of eternal life with him. Having this hope doesn't make us immune to death or the pain that it brings, but the ultimate sting of death, that we do not need to fear, because in Jesus we have true and eternal life. So as the band comes up and as I finish up, Jesus reveals God's character. And it is in God's character to give life to all who truly believe and submit to him. It is in God's character to give life to all who truly believe and submit to him. This is why Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Know that I am the only one who can bring true eternal life. Know that I weep because I am aware of your grief and pain. Know also that I rejoice when you believe because then you can say, I am a child of God. What great delight, contentment and courage this brings us. Jesus is with us and he is life. In him, we too have life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks that you are life, that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and to be raised again so that we might be saved from our